These are challenging times, are they not? We at WMB Church are in the same sort of position where our worship is different than what we would normally enjoy. We sit with masks, we hum, we're encouraged to clap along, to raise our hands, to engage in worship through humming or perhaps just allowing the, the, the words of the music to flow over top of us as, as we drink in what, uh, what God is do, doing and, and saying to us. Um, <clears throat> but this isn't the first time that I've been disallowed from participating in worship through singing. I remember back in... I don't know, 1999, 2000, somewhere in that area. Uh, I damaged my vocal cords very, very badly. And as a result, I had to be quiet. For a whole month, I couldn't even talk, not whisper, just write everything down. That's really hard to do in any case, but it's for a talkative person, it's even all the more hard. And then an additional three months, I could do no singing, no humming, and minimal amount of talking. And you know what I learned during that time? God receives my praise even if I can't sing. He receives the praise of my heart in ways that I didn't realize before. In fact, I found myself pondering the words that were being sung more than I ever did in any other time of my life. And during this, this uh, crisis, this pandemic that, we're, that we are um, struggling through now, to demand that we should be able to sing out loud is just selfishness. It's really not worship. Because what Christ, sorry about that, because what Christ demonstrated by his life was that we lay our lives down for others. The reason why we're masked is so that we protect others from the potential of this disease. And so that's as a, a gift of praise to God in doing that. And so I just want to encourage you through these hard times, and they are challenging. So if you love to sing out loud, then sing loudly in the shower, in your car, around, around the house, uh, when you're on a walking trail, you know, scream your praise to the Lord. But when you're together with other people, for your love for your neighbors, continue to um, give this sacrifice of praise to our Father. Well, I understand that you're going through a sermon series based on the uh, Dr. Rob Reimer's book, Soul Care. And, and I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to speak into this topic. Now, what I want to say that um, I've had the opportunity to read the book as well as I go for long walks every morning, and one of the things that I love to do is to listen to stuff. And so I bought it on an audible book, and I've listened through it a couple times. Let me say that if you are, are banging it out of the park in the first six steps, you really have nothing to worry about in step seven. And so if that's, if that's the case, then I can just leave and, and you guys are fine. But step seven is there because there are people in our midst and around the world who are struggling with the influences of the Prince of Darkness. And so we want to take some time to talk about that. And I've been asked to, <clears throat> to talk of deliverance from demonic strongholds. Each one of us has one of these in our homes. Next slide. There we go. Now, unless you're a four-year-old boy, we don't really talk about it that much. <laughs> I have a little grandson. He's eight now, and he still periodically, you know, likes to talk about toilet things and bathroom, bathroom stuff. But anyway, we each have one of these in our, in our homes, and the reality is we need it. 
We need it, and as the older you get, we need it more often, it seems. At least I'll speak for myself in that way. None of us, though, likes to talk much about it, and I don't know of anybody who says, oh, I just love Mondays because Mondays, I get to go around and I get to clean the toilets. Yes! But what happens if we don't clean the toilets? Next slide. Yeah, anybody a little uncomfortable? <laughs> if we don't clean the toilets, not only does it begin to look like this, but the smell begins to emanate through the house, and there's no place you can go to get away from the stench. Well, that's what it begins to, to happen if we don't deal with stuff in our life that is, <clears throat> that is from the enemy. And so I want to talk, talk for a few minutes on deliver us from evil, deliverance from demonic strongholds. And it's a little bit like that dirty toilet. Nobody likes to talk about it. Nobody likes to do anything about it. But if we don't do anything about it, it begins to stink up the whole house. We live in Canada, and so part of us tends to, when we think about this topic of the demonic, part of us sort of wants to push back and say, yeah, but that, that's for like Africa or, you know, in the jungles of, of Panama. Play, people who aren't educated, they think that there's demons, but we know that it's, it's really, it's not. But the reality is we cannot escape the reality that there is a kingdom of light, which Christ came to bring, but he also came to bring that light somewhere and that light is to drive out the darkness. I first came to Kitchener MB Church, <clears throat> which is now our second site for Waterloo MB, in 1989 as a youth pastor, and ironically now I'm a pastor for seniors. So I guess you could say that the, uh, the circle has completed itself. Anyway, uh, with the young adults, we would meet on Thursday evenings and we'd have a Bible study. And during those Bible studies, uh, we usually start off talking about how your week's going and how can we pray for you. One day, one of the young adults brought a friend by the name of Carlos. And Carlos came, and when it came to the prayer time, he says, yeah, could you pray for me? I've got these, these voices going on in my head that are just telling me to do really bad things, and it's a bit, it's freaking me out. And so I asked a follow-up question. I asked, well, when did this start? And he says, well, it started right after I broke up with my, my girlfriend. Oh, and uh, tell me a little bit about your girlfriend. Oh, well, she was a white witch. And at that point, I really wanted him to leave because <laughs> I knew where this was going to go. But instead, I said, in obedience to the Holy Spirit, I says, okay, we're going to pray for you, but it's going to take, it might take a little bit longer than what we have right now. Would you be okay with going through the study with us and then meeting with a few of us afterwards? And he says, absolutely. We went through the Bible study, and the whole time in my mind, I'm going like, oh, I just hope he gets up and leaves. I hope he gets up and leaves because no one likes to clean a dirty toilet. He didn't leave, he stayed. I gathered three of the young adults uh, who I knew to be people of strong faith, and we went off into the Sunday school room while the rest of them went to have their coffee, and we began to talk. And in the course of our conversations, I, I asked Carlos if he was a believer, and he says, yeah. And, but as he talked about things that he was involved in, I'm going like, there's a lot of stuff here that just a believer shouldn't be involved in. And so I asked him if he would be all right if I just prayed a simple prayer saying, um, if there was anything whose knee was not bent to Jesus' authority in his life, that it would show itself. And he says, oh, yeah, sure. And I prayed that prayer, and immediately he began to manifest. Um, his eyes glazed over. He began to, to snarl and uh, do freaky things. 
And the three young adults with me began to earnestly, earnestly pray. In fact, one of them left to gather more people to pray. There is a kingdom of light, and there is a kingdom of darkness. When there is a power encounter, it changes your perspective in a way that all the reading and all the studying will never do. But when you come face to face the reality that there is an evil presence who is out to destroy us, it changes your perspective. This is the same kind of power encounter that Jesus understood and confronted time and time again as we read about from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. In his uh, prayer to the disciples where he says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses or our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then he says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have a loving God who sent his son to bring salvation to us, absolutely. And we believe that and we accept his salvation as the truth. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we could follow his leadership and his guidance in our life. And we see that as true. Why then do we have a, such a difficult time to understand that there is an enemy who is out to kill us, out to destroy us, out to inhibit us from uh, achieving what Christ has saved us to and for When Jesus began his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, he first went out into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray. And while he was in the desert, the, the, the enemy came to tempt him. It says this in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by, there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said to him, if, if, how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded with, the scripture says. First Peter 5, verse 8, Peter says that he warns the church to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, for the devil, for he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In this message, I don't have time to address all the other ways that the Bible talks about the enemy in which we are called to engage and also to be wary of. But the Dr. Reimer's book does a, a very good job of bringing out those scriptures and those deliverance methods. But for this morning, I want to focus on just a couple of things. First, there is a kingdom of light and there is a kingdom of darkness. Jesus made clear that his ministry <coughs> was... Uh, was to establish his kingdom, in, which was not of this world, but which was a heavenly kingdom. In John chapter 3, verses uh, 16 to 21, Jesus says that he came into the world to save the world from darkness to the light. In John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, Jesus says this, The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. I don't think anyone would re here would, we, um, would argue about the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light that Jesus came to give. But if that tr is true, then is not also the other part of what Jesus came to do, and that is to expulse, to drive out the kingdom and the prince of darkness. <clears throat> 
First Peter 5, verse 8 says that there is a great enemy, a great enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus came into the world to shed his light and to drive out this great enemy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Paul says, You once were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Paul says that we know that there is darkness. And I know if I asked you around here, we, every one of us has seen the darkness in our world. We see it on the news each and every day. We see it in our communities and the things that happen where good people do terrible things. We see it in ourselves. People do things like theft and murder, immorality, idolatry, lies, cheating, gossip, jealousy, lustful thoughts, pride, and don't you wish I would start, had stopped at the first three, right? Isn't it always easier to look at sin as being those big things that we don't do? But the reality is, is we are all prone to sin. We know that there is darkness because we understand its enticement on our lives. You see, the enemy knows that when our allegiance is to Jesus, he's not going to trip us up by getting us to do horribly big things. No, it's not the way he works. He begins to trip us out by tempting us in those areas where we're willing to be compromised in. Because it's just a little thing. It's only a white lie. It doesn't really matter. Veggie tails. They've got this great thing about the fib. You know, it's just a little fib, but every time the fib grows bigger and bigger and takes more to feed to keep it going. In the same way, that's what's happening in our lives too when we allow the enemy to tempt us in those areas where we're willing to compromise. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, hey, just because I've ordered doesn't mean to say I can't look at the rest of the menu, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And I've heard mature Christians say that to me. And it's appalling because what it ultimately says is we take with disregard what Jesus says and says, even if you have lustful thoughts, know that you have already committed adultery. And we say, yeah, it doesn't matter. I can keep on looking. We're trying to give excuse for lust. We're trying to give excuse for sexual impropriety. That's how the enemy begins to come in. So, does this mean that as a Christian, I might become possessed by an evil spirit? And here, I want to agree wholeheartedly with Dr. Reimer and what he has to say, that I don't think that a Christian can be demon-possessed because we have been given the Holy Spirit and light and darkness cannot abide together. However, <clears throat> lustful thoughts, greed, consuming anger, arrogant pride, white and not-so-white lies division, jealousy, quarreling, drunkenness, all start as things that are innocent enough in themselves. If we stop listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that is inviting us to come back onto the path of right living. 
It's kind of like a hitchhiker. Here you are driving your car that is fully owned and, and uh, you've got the papers and everything. You're heading down the straight and narrow highway to the celestial city that you see in the distance. And along the side of the road is a hitchhiker. And you go like, hey, he's on the straight and narrow, so obviously he must be going the same way as I'm going, so I'll give him a ride. You invite him into the car. And as you're driving along, you're, get, you're getting to know each other. And he goes like, you know, I know this really great spot. It's just about a 10-minute exit off the highway. And we got lots of time, so you should check it out. It's amazing. We go like, absolutely. Like, I'm not in a hurry, really. And so we put the blinker on, and we turn off. And meanwhile, the GPS starts saying, recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. But we ignore it because there's this great little thing that we're going to be showing. And sure enough, it is. It's, it's amazing. It's great. It's, how, could this, how could this be uh, um, an impediment to the direction I'm going? And little by little, it goes until finally, it's not us driving any, anymore. It's the hitchhiker who's driving. Because he's convinced us, well, you know, we must be tired. We need some rest. And he'll drive because he knows where we're going. And soon enough, we need a police officer to stop the car and to remind the driver that where he's going isn't the place that you want to go. Too often, that's what happens in our life when it comes to the reality of our spiritual oppressor. He comes along and he entices us just to take a little exit. And meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is saying, recalculate, get back on the path, get back on the path. And eventually we ignore it or we put it in the back trunk. We still have ownership to the car. We still have the GPS. But we've stopped listening to it and we've given the control of the vehicle over to the enemy. Point two. We do not need to fear the enemy. One of the most often uh, spoken commands in the Bible is do not fear. Now, most often it's when people come into contact with, with angels, and angels are huge, and they go like, ah. And the command is, don't be afraid. When it comes to the enemy, we also need to take that advice, to not fear. There isn't anything about the enemy that that exists that we need to fear because we have the authority and the person of Christ living within us by his Holy Spirit to combat and push against the prince of darkness. However, that does not mean that we should be ignorant or arrogant when it comes to the enemy because that would be foolish. Remember what First Peter uh, <clears throat> said, what, what Peter said in First Peter 5 where he says, we have a great enemy, not a puny enemy. We have a great enemy who can do significant damage. So we are not foolish. We're not afraid, but we are not foolish. Remember this. If you've spent years ignoring the correcting voice of the Holy Spirit in regard to a sin area in your life, you will need the help of other Christians to come alongside to help lift up your hands and to walk with you on this path so that you can begin to push away the influence of the enemy. And we also will need the help of others to help rebuild a strong foundation back into our lives again 
a foundation that honors the, um, the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life over the influence of the enemy. We need to build a strong spiritual patterns back into our life if we have been compromised in areas. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, he says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the, contra- on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Could go on a long time, but we're running out of time, and let me just focus on a couple of things. Number one, we don't wage war as humans do. What do we do as humans? Well, we try harder. We focus on the symptoms rather than the root. We try to exercise or program ourselves out of this situation, but God needs us to fight, not with human weapons, but with spiritual ones. Secondly, we proclaim war on the lies of the enemy. We destroy the lies that the enemy tries to put uh, towards us and ultimately inhibit our ability to listen to God. Thirdly, and finally, and I like this, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to the teaching of Christ. Taking captive every thought. We cannot prevent thoughts from coming to us, but we can take those thoughts and push them into Uh, the throne of Christ, before the throne of Christ, and say, there, I place you before the throne of Jesus, and it will be dealt there. A little uh, exercise. If you're having an issue with something, this is something that I've done for many, many years of my life and continue to do on a regular basis as, as often as needed, put it that way. But at the beginning, there are some areas I struggle with, especially in the area of lust. And this wasn't just at the beginning before I was a pastor. This is also in my years of being a pastor. It is one area that the enemy will, if it, the enemy is going to trip me up anywhere, it's going to be in two areas. One is in the area of lust. Second is the area of anger. Anyway, this is some of the, one of the things that I have done many, many times. I want to encourage you with this as well. And that is to say, in the name of Jesus, I command you spirit of lust, let's say spirit of pride, let's throw that in there as well, because as good Mennonites, we know those are two things you shouldn't be involved in. In the name of Jesus, I command you spirit of lust and spirit of pride to go now to be judged before the throne of Christ. And then we finish off that prayer by saying, and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill me with that which is the opposite of that which does, not, which does me harm. And so I invite you to fill me with a spirit of love and purity and humility, gentleness, kindness, whatever it happens to be, whatever is of the opposite spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to do that. And then throughout your day, whenever that temptation rises up again, go to that place again and again, as often as, as you need. Sometimes it might be dozens or maybe even hundreds of times in the day, but fight off the enemy in that way. <clears throat> We also need to know when to stand and when to run. As we've heard already in 1 Peter 5, verse uh, 8 and 9, that we are to stand firm against him and be strong in our faith. But there are times, and there is at least one sin in which we are counseled to run. In Genesis 39, 11 to 12, Joseph 
is confronted by Potiphar's wife who wants him to come and enter into his bed, into her bed with him, with her. Oh, anyway, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and uh, Joseph does not stand firm. He does exactly the opposite. He runs. He leaves whatever she's hanging on to. He just lets it fall off his back and he runs away. If you're tempted in the area of sexual sin, don't stand there and fight. Run out of there. Get rid of the situation. If it's in front of a TV, uh, TV, if it's in front of a computer, if it's in front of a place that tempts you to think in those ways, get out of there. Run around the corner and then pray. Don't try doing your warfare in front of that which is tempting you because sexual sin will trip you out more times than you'll win. If you don't leave, run. All right. I'm done with these two things. An encouragement and a caution. I wish I would have more time. It's surprising how quickly time goes by. But Tuesday uh, evening, I'll be open to, through Zoom, to chat with you more and to answer, hopefully answer or engage with your questions you might have. All right. I've been engaged over my ministry years many times with deliverances, some of which have been completely successful, praise the Lord, some of which we only got partway through, and either the person decided that they didn't want to let go of some areas of their life, and at that point you can't do anything but say, all right, when you're ready, come back and we'll deal with you. And some were, I've just lost track of the people, so I don't know what happened. But there's several facts I want to leave you with. Fact one, there is an enemy who tries to influence and um, exercise control over our lives, leading us away from Jesus. Fact two, we as believers in Jesus Christ have been given authority to say to to, uh, the demonic to go and be gone. We have been given the responsibility not to shy away from it, but the responsibility, even though it is challenging, ugly, dirty, and unwieldy, to heal the sick and to drive out those who are oppressed by demonic influences. A couple of years ago, I was uh, rehearsing with the, the worship team at WMB, and um, a young man walked in to, in our rehearsal and sat at the back. One of the prayer warriors came up to me afterwards and says, I think you need to pray with this guy. So I went back during a break just before service and chatted with him a little bit, and he says, "Um, I need help. I keep hearing these voices in my head, and they're telling me to do bad things, and I I need help. And I said, look, we're about to start service. Would you be okay to wait until after the service? He says, sure. He waited through the first service, the break, and the second service until we had time to, to gather three other people in, uh, in an office, and we began to pray with him. He was of Muslim faith, and he had uh, decided that there were things about the Muslim faith he wasn't comfortable with, and he was looking for a way, a different way to live. And that's when these voices started happening. And so we, uh, I counseled with him a little bit, and then I, I said, can I ask 
if I can pray for you and ask if there's anything there that it is not in, in league with, with Jesus. And he says, sure. And immediately again, there was a manifestation of the enemy. Over the years, I've learned to not allow the, the enemy to run havoc, and you just tell them to shut up, and they do. And then we began to counsel him, and after about an hour, we were able to lead him to Jesus, where he committed his life to Jesus, and then we could begin to do the fight. Because unless the person has the Spirit of God fighting with them, you're, going to be, you're, going, you're not going to be successful. But once they have that Spirit of Christ in them, fighting along with you, things can happen. Third fact. Even when we have helped deliver someone from the bondage of the devil, it's not the end of the story. We may have bound the enemy, but now what we need to do is build a strong foundation of discipleship and discipline back into, the, into their life so that they can continue to stand firm. And it is an error if we turn our back on that second, uh, that second aspect. Third, or fourth, we need to be, del- <clears throat> when we see people delivered from bondage, it tends to end, it tends to lead to dancing. Because it is awesome to see someone freed from something that has bound them up for years. But here comes a caution. If God opens up the door for you to deal with people who are um, suffering from demonic strongholds, be willing to trust him and his leadership in leading you to develop a heart of passion for these people. But don't become enamored with these power encounters. I've seen far too many people who began to seek out the enemy more than they began to seek out God. And that only leads down a path that will ultimately destroy you. Secondly, if God calls us to heal the sick and free captives, then we need to do that. But we do it with a passion for God's word that helps to ground us in those times of need. Look at Jesus. He was a son of God, for crying out loud. And where did he go to for his strength? He went to Scripture. He says, the Scripture says... And he pushed away the enemy by the use of God's word. Secondly, spend time developing intimacy with God through prayer, meditation, and godly conversation with others. Third, developing a listening ear to the Holy Spirit and learn how to understand how he speaks to you, learning to quickly obey his promptings. And lastly, learn to be a worshiper of God 24-7. In song, in testimony, in work, in play, in other words, in the whole of your life, Be a worshiper of God. Deal with the demonic influences that you see coming up as God brings them to mind. And remember, we're not there to drive out the the devil by our hatred for him. We're there to drive out the devil because of our love for the people who are oppressed. Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is the sum of the gospel. That is the sum of the law of the prophets, Jesus says in Matthew 22. If Jesus sees that as the greatest commandment, then we need to see that also, to love him with our whole being and to love others so that when you see them being oppressed, our love drives us to... um, expel the darkness from around them. 
God bless you as you continue to minister to God, first and foremost, to love him, to love others around you. And as he gives you the opportunity to fight against the enemy, grasp, grasp it without fear, but also hang on tightly to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because he will lead and guide you through these processes. Please don't become an expert at expulsing the demons. Become an expert at loving Jesus and listening to his still small prompting. Amen.